so good They'll stone you just like they said they would They'll stone you when you're trying to go home They'll stone you when you're there all alone But I would not feel so all alone Everybody must get stoned Hello, Spaldo. Uh, how are things going before we start our our actual topic we're going to do? Yeah. No, it's, it's going great. I think I, think I told you that Megan, Megan had a suggestion if you were able to do another podcast or something to call it a Toddcast. That's a good flow to it, Pastor. <laughs> a Toddcast. <laughs> Just uh, suggestions for you. I call royalties on it if you ever make money off that. I guess an Osbaldo cast doesn't sound so. Nah, exactly. <laughs> so we did say last week that we we're going to start getting into specific topics. So today we're going to talk about the return of Christ. And... My my introduction into learning about the return of Christ actually involved Amy Grant, believe it or not, the singer Amy really? Grant. Yeah, when I was uh, not a Christian yet, it was 1980. Mm-hmm. I was invited to a Campus Crusade for Christ um, retreat, which was a yearly one in Estes Park, Colorado. So here I am, an unbeliever. I was hearing the gospel. My mind was being opened up to it. And Amy Grant, who I think was only 16, she was just new, was the singer for that week. Oh, wow. Now, I don't know personally where Amy Grant is. I can only tell you that her music, God really used in my life to give me a basic um, understanding of God. Oh, wow. And his love. And so it was the night I was converted that I actually first heard about Christ returning. And they had not mentioned that in the gospel presentation. It was all about the cross, which uh-huh. was wonderful. I needed it. But when I first learned about Christ's return, I was very excited. Even as I just came to know him that day. And so when I joined my first church, which was a large church in the Phoenix area, it was dispensational, sort of Dallas Seminary type mm. pastors. Then I was introduced to end time madness. <laughs> And that was really big in the 80s, if those of you old enough to remember. Everybody was assumed we were in the last days. We were always mm. talking about the signs of the end. Mm. Um, in youth group, you know, the best studies were on Revelation. Everybody wanted to do Revelation. Uh-huh. So, you know, you just accepted the rapture. You talked about the rapture a lot. A lot of predictions about when Christ would return. And I remember one specific conversation I had with a couple guys where after I had gotten my degree in physical education, I wanted to go to Bible college. I eventually wanted to be a pastor. And they both said to me, why? I said, well, I, I want to be trained to be a pastor. And they said, well, why would you waste your time? The Lord's going to come back before you're done. Wow. And so I'm so glad I didn't listen to them. I was about to say, I'm so glad too. <laughs> And so uh, that was my first introduction to, uh, you know, the return of Christ, really all about the end times. Um, did you go through this at all in your journey? Yeah, in, in a more subtle way, because like in, in the Hispanic community, right, it's, it's, it's broadly charismatic and, and charismatic churches, you know, do have a, to emphasize, they do emphasize the rapture and all that, all that stuff. And it's so funny because even in my family, among my aunts 
from my mom's side, they have an expression, Pastor, that goes, te vas a quedar. You're going to stay. So if you if like the kids are doing something bad or misbehaving, that's what they say. Oh, you're going to stay. If the rapture happens, your bad behavior, that means you're going to stay, you know, because wow. of whatever. And it, it was always like in light joking, but it comes from that that background, right? That rapture or whatever. But a most vivid memory that I have about like the rapture that really put like the fear of God in me was we went to my uncle's house. He's a Pentecostal pastor. It was a family reunion. And the kids were running around and they put a movie. And instead of putting like a Disney movie, they put in like some this like homemade rapture movie, Pastor. And when I say Pastor Devil, it was an intense movie. And at the end, I was like 10. My brother was like eight. The rapture happened and like the alcoholic husband who stayed behind, he like commits suicide and like stabs himself with a broken bottle. And like for some reason they thought like, oh, yeah, the kids need to see this. It's like that really traumatized me and really like shaped the, like how I shared the gospel. Like I, I started telling my friends, hey, the raptures happened and in my mind. Like I don't want you to kill yourself like the alcoholic dad or whatever that I saw. But yeah, it just, it's just crazy. It's very fear based. and But that's. But at least that movie was like the most intense, like I guess, experience that I had with rapture stuff. They didn't really well, get that bad before. Was the movie A Thief in the Night? Let me let me let me search that up. I I don't know. Okay, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you later. That was the most famous one going around that scared young people. Mm. So as you look that up, what happened to me is you know like most going through that, I burned out of it. I was tired of the the predictions that didn't come true. And I started reading a theologian named George Ladd. He was actually still pre-mill, but he didn't hold to a rapture. And I started seeing, looking back at the scripture, that there is no rapture in the scripture. So not too long after that, I discovered Reformed theology. So there were some real positives, obviously, to that. There were no more embarrassing predictions to worry about. You could plan your life like normal. Um, There is certainly a better biblical understanding of the return of Christ. But something strange I noticed in the Reformed world is that people rarely talked about the return of Christ. And so it was like, okay, they have a doctrinal understanding of it, but that zeal for it, that excitement for Christ could return at any time, I started to miss that. And of course, with Reformed, you always have the post-mill dominionism that's growing that's sort of um, that's going to happen way way in the future where we have Mm. so much more that's going to happen first that has to happen with the christianization of the world blah 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 and so i went from that being like what everyone's excited about really in a weird way to that's sort of a really minor doctrine i'm wondering if you experience anything similar on your theological journey uh, a, a little bit. And it, for me, it was a little bit different because my initial interaction with Reformed theology had more to do with, like, you know, the issue of sin, right? Like, oh, we're all, uh, you know, totally depraved. So it had more to do with, like, the the mechanics of salvation, I guess, right? Where, like, oh, the spirit regenerates. So that, that was a lot of my emphasis. So I, it, I wasn't really confronted about my own pre-male mindset. Um, until very later on, actually very late, it was like a few years into Reformed theology where like, I just haven't thought about it until, I don't know if it was you or pastor, another pastor, the, the last pastor, before, the pastor before you, uh, 
before that we had in Cornerstone. It's kind of confusing, sorry, because I call you pastor. But anyways, um, he they started talking about pre uh, A-mill or these words that I wasn't familiar with. They started saying, you know, making jokes about the rapture. And in my mind, I'm like, well, what's the, what's the big deal? It's true, right? So it, it was more subtle for me. It was not as, not as informed, my, my transition. And what really solidified for me was a class that I had on First Thessalonians in college where the professor had an email perspective and we went through the Greek of it all. And that kind of changed my perspective. That, that was really helpful, very, very informative. But all, all this to say that I think on a positive side, my, my upbringing and the emphasis on the, on the second coming didn't really change much when I became, got into Reformed theology. If anything, what Reformed theology taught me was how um, the second coming doesn't just have to do with the rapture. And I could talk about this a little bit later, but I remember the first time when you, I, I learned this from you, that the new creation comes when Christ comes back. And then for me, like it all fit together, right? Like the return of Christ has, is so important. It, it doesn't just have to do with rapture. It has everything to do with newness and renewal and so on, so on. So I don't know. That was me. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I think there's three reasons that I've seen why in the reform world, um, the return of Christ is somewhat minimized. It's, it's not really the center of our faith as it should be. One, I think a lot of it is people burned out from dispensationalism. I think most people I know who've been on a journey started out or were in dispensationalism. They were you know, sort of end times crazy of rapture stuff, predictions. So once they get out of it, you can see them overcorrecting. Because we just, that's all we heard about. And that was, and so now that we have a better view, we don't have to sit here and worry about it. I think like anything else, you tend to overcorrect from a previous error. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you agree with this? Yeah. I, like I said, I used to share the gospel a lot with my with my Muslim friends. And the rapture didn't really come up a lot, but the second coming did. And it wasn't until I be, you know, got into Calvinism and so on that the emphasis really, really changed. The, the emphasis wasn't the second coming anymore, but rather had more to do with, you know, you're you're totally depraved. <laughs> That's exactly how I say it to people. You're totally depraved. You need you need Christ or whatever. Only Christ alone, faith alone, you know, all the all the the, the popular words in in reform circles so yeah i would say that the it was more evident in the way i was sharing about christianity to my muslim friends that really changed it went from second coming to you know sin and christ alone faith alone which is important but i think i think that's a good observation the the emphasis really really shifted to the point where the second coming was almost non-existent in the conversations that i had with people I'm trying to imagine you with a new person sharing the gospel. You are totally depraved. <laughs> and let me tell you what that means. <laughs> winsome. You were not known to be winsome, right? Uh, no. <laughs> so I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is, as I said before, there's this strain in reform world of post-millennialism and dominionism. And it, it, they tend to minimize and even shame those whose hope is in the return of Christ alone and not in things progressing better and better. So it's interesting how even the different views interpret the Lord's Prayer. 
So when a post-millennialist looks at the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, they see that as a prayer for, in this age, for a progressive growth of the kingdom, affecting the world more, where it really means the return of Christ. When you pray, thy kingdom come, mm-hmm. the kingdom in one sense is already here. Yeah. So when you pray for thy kingdom come, you're praying for that second stage of the kingdom, the consummation. So the Lord taught us to pray, come Lord Jesus, you know, Mm -hmm. the prayer at the end of Revelation. And even that is taken out of the Lord's prayer and it's reinterpreted to focus almost entirely on this world. Mm. And so even, even that's a different, any thought on that, even with the Lord's prayer? Yeah. I mean, I had a different observation that kind of in line with, with the first, the first question that you made that and obviously I'm not talking I'm talking about outside of dominionist circles like in in reformed circles that are not dominionist I feel like the second coming isn't talked about because for all practical purposes we live a very comfortable life in the US and that's not a bad I'm not trying to shame people for that it's not a thing shameful it is a blessing right but I'm trying to reflect on like my own parents upbringing cuz I inherited a lot of their their beliefs what they hold dear my parents would say well in in, in in poverty in my mom went through the civil war in her country it's it's in moments of deep suffering that you want christ to come because you see how the the true kind of what the world really is right it's evil it's bad it's broken we need we need renewal we need transformation so in times of suffering you really emphasize christ come christ come christ come but in moments of comfort you know it's kind of like Ah, I mean, if Christ wants to come, sure. But I'm, you know, I'm here making a good salary. My bellies are full, right? Kids are off to college, good kids or whatever, right? It, it seems like in moments of comfort, we have the illusion that all is well. And like Christ is like the cherry on top, right? Like, yeah, like if he comes, I mean, I mean good, good for everyone, right? But like for, for all practical purposes, I'm well off. And once again, it's not bad that we have. That's also a blessing from God, right? Thank God and all that. But we have to be very careful not to let that kind of overshadow the reality that, you know, our world remains broken regardless of our financial state. People still suffer. People still hurt in Christ. The, the, this, the, the importance of Christ coming doesn't, doesn't change. And we have to kind of remind ourselves that because it's easy to forget in times of comfort. I'm so glad you added that because it's fascinating that as I was putting this podcast podcast together, I was thinking about that, adding that, Mm. At our prosperity, we just, you know, we're really looking forward to all the good things of this life many times. Yeah. And when you suffer, you look forward to the return of Christ. So mm. I left it out for some reason. And then to hear you say it. Uh, hey, we're, we're on the same page, Pastor. We are. <laughs> Scary thought. Well, there's two of us in the world. <laughs> uh-huh. And I, I think the third reason is something that's fairly new. And that is that with the Internet and especially social media, we have a vehicle now to air our grievances instead mm. of waiting for Christ to return to vindicate us. So in the New Testament, especially 1 Corinthians 6, when we have disputes with other believers, you know, Paul writes, um, do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial matters? And, and then he says, Isn't it better to be cheated? Why not rather be wronged? Hmm. And so Paul says, if you're going to be wrong, don't go public and take it before the world. We're not talking about, you know, illegal activity here. 
we're talking about grievances of the way we're treated. The whole point of waiting for the return of Christ is trusting that he will judge. He will vindicate. So there's this patient waiting, focusing on Christ's return with our grievances. And so the New Testament ethic is if you cannot settle a dispute, um, it's better to be wrong than to go before the world with our grievances. Because in the second coming, it will all be made right. But now with social media, you've got Christians trying to expose and air every grievance they've been through. And so what, what, what are we missing? We're missing this return of Christ, this hope. Um, allowing ourselves to be wrong, knowing that God is going to come and judge. And so it's very easy to use social media and the internet to deny this basic Christian ethic of non-retaliation and focusing on the return of Christ to make it right. We don't have to wait anymore. Mm. We can go after people and get vindicated right away now that we can air everything publicly before the world. So that temptation, I, I've really, and this is not just in reform circles, I think it's in all Christian circles, has taken away this hope in Christ's return only. And any thought on that third point? Yeah, I've never thought about it like that. I think that's really insightful because I think our reference point has radically changed. And what I mean by that is like, I don't know if you noticed, Pastor, but like for some reason, people's, at least in some like nationalist, Christ, nationalist Christians, for some reason, like prayer in school is like the reference point. Like everything was okay in the world when prayer was back in school. And like they have these weird reference points. It's like, oh, if only we could go back to that and, and look, our, our current state in, in, in the nation or in schools or in the church, it's so bad because and they point to something in the past. Look how it was before. But I'm like, well, if, if our reference point is the new creation which is, you know, the second or the second and the second coming of Christ. If that's our reference point, then it's like our, our, our current suffering is seen as like, well, it's expected. Yeah, like, of course, in this side of glory, this is going to happen. Oh, of course, we're going to be ridiculed or this, whatever. So if your reference point is the second coming of Christ and the new creation that accompanies with it, then I think that that really changes kind of how you see your own predicament, right? Especially when it comes to how Christians are treated or or how Christians react wrongly, so on, so on. Um, yeah, but I think I think it has to do with that. What's what's our reference point? If it's if it's something in like you know the last hundred years in church history, or something that we've talked about before, romanticizing church history. Oh, look how it was in the first or second century. Oh, look. Well, well, no, that's not our reference point. Our reference point should always be you know the second coming and and in the in the new creation that comes with it. So. Yeah, that, 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 that's very interesting. I, I haven't thought about how the, the internet really shapes how we see our own suffering and struggle. Yeah, I think the change for me in the last few years as I journey through all these different theologies is that my piety is certainly more than ever shaped by the return of Christ. The, you know, the more I think about First Peter 1 Peter 1.13, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope completely. Yeah. This is not sort of, you know, one thing that you set your hope on beyond all these other things that you expect in this life, but completely. Yeah. And so the return of Christ has to shape 
all we say and do now. And certainly in my mind, that's been happening. And, and the more I've studied the early church, and this is something you and I talk about a lot, we certainly see their belief in the imminent return of Christ. That's no. very clear that they thought Christ could return at any moment, especially the first few hundred years. And it really shaped their heavenly mindedness. They didn't fight back. They loved their enemies. They waited upon God. They gave their money away. They helped in times of plague, risking their life. This heavenly reward shaped everything they did. I mean, as, as you look, study the early church and their view of the second coming, what stands out to you? It's exactly that. Like Christ is coming any moment, any, any second. And this was especially important for Christians encouraging others not to deny Jesus before, you know, before the Roman government. Um, going back to my last comments, like, well, what's, what's the point? And these are the words, right? What's, if what is fire suffering being burned for an hour compared to the eternal fire right so they were like yeah i'm good i'm not denying christ i, I i'll be burned so that i can uh, enjoy eternal bliss when he returns or when whenever you see ancient apologists talking to the roman government saying hey we live a good life because we don't know when christ is coming back and in the gospels jesus says hey live in such a way that whenever the master returns, he sees you doing what is right. And that 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 they, that wasn't just a cute metaphor for like, oh, that sounds nice. No, that was so real. I want, I want to be found in a state where Christ sees me living consistently to his teachings or to living consistently with with the the rules or whatever of his kingdom. So they took that extremely serious. If a crisis could come any moment, so let us live a life where if he comes back, he sees a, a holy people. But people that depend solely on him. So, yeah, like you said, it had that was at the forefront of their minds. It was their source of hope against persecution, and it was also the the source of their good living. We ought to live good lives because you never know when Christ might come back. We want to be found a holy people. So that's very interesting. Yeah, and and I want to recommend a book to our listeners. Um, maybe what I've read, at least the best book on the early church. And it's called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church by Alan Kreider, hmm. K-R-E-I-D-E-R. You just started reading it, and you know how good it is. Well, I, I think I told you, I read the last chapter. So it has a really good ending. I'm really excited how it begins. <laughs> yeah, it's just an amazing account of the early church, and not just yeah. what eventually became known as clergy, but really focuses on the church as a whole, how yeah. the people lived and thought. So it's The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Wonderful book. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I think now more than ever, you know, people ask me, are you an optimistic Amil or a pessimistic Amil? And I'm like, oh, pessimistic, totally. I mean, <laughs> I've lived 60 years now. I've seen the political cycles and nothing changes too much. Ecclesiastes was right. There's nothing new under the sun. The church is and always has been sort of a mess. In many ways, life is sad. And so we don't need much in this life. We'll be content with a little. I don't really want to be seen anymore. I just want to live peacefully and wait for the Lord. Keep away from rage and war. 
yes, contend for the truth and what really matters, of course, which is the gospel. But I want to leave the rest to God. And just knowing that happiness is promised coming soon. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be happy every day. It's just real life, though. You know, I try to live a life of peace. But I think now more than ever, the second coming shapes the way I live my days. Um, without getting into the end times craziness, I have no idea. But any any final thoughts on the second coming? Yeah, for me, I mean, what's what's been helpful once again is to see the second coming as synonymous with the new creation, right? And that for me has been so beautiful because all my life I've seen the second coming as like shaped with fear, right? It's always something like, I don't know. It's always it, it just this weird picture that's painted. It, it, it's fearful. It's it's it, the way they paint Christians. It's like, oh, they're able to escape, escape. And I was like, is the second coming really a matter of escape or is it a matter of renewal, newness, restoration? So for me, at least for the last few years, my wife has, you know, her family has struggled a lot with her parents' health. Um, my family has, has gone through some stuff too. And, and, and thinking about the new creation as a space where God will restore the body and the soul has been like a huge source of like inspiration and hope. Like, okay, I could keep moving on because I know that at the end of the day, no matter what happens here, my, my in-laws, my family will one day experience that renewal. Like, it's okay. Like this, this, these, these next 60 years might be hard, but eternal life will be will be worth it these 60 years is going to be but a memory right or something like that so for yeah. me at least it's been nice to to see the second coming not as a, not as a as a thing to be feared or see it as escape but kind of reframing it as new creation has been really really comforting and, and, and inspirational to me yeah. yeah that's good well next week we're going to look at worship mm. and some of the different things we've seen claimed about worship in our different types of churches so that'll that'll be a little more touchy for some people but um that'll are we that'll, that'll are be we fun. changing the intro for that just a ccm <laughs> song for that yeah well we'll i think we will actually <laughs> all right all right thanks for everyone for listening when you're walking on the street